This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this week I have a treat for you. I have an interview with the head of social innovation at Twitter, Claire Diaz-Ortiz. I talk with Claire about some of the things she does for her job at Twitter, as well as some time she took recently doing a digital detox and some of the things she has written concerning productivity specifically her book, The Present Principle. And you know that obviously, since I'm a person who works in social media for my day job, talking to somebody who actually works at Twitter was kind of a, a, you know, unique and cool thing for me. So I geek out a little bit. So sit back and relax and enjoy the interview. Well, this week, I get to welcome Claire Diaz-Ortiz to the show. She works at Twitter. So there you go. Welcome to the show. Hi, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Now, this is a kind of unique story where the social media geek in me, because that's my day job, saw you tweet about liking, listening to the podcast. And Mm -hmm. so then I clicked to see your bio and I was like, okay, number one, somebody from Twitter that works at Twitter followed me on Twitter. That's kind of meta, but also kind of cool. So... (laughs) So I, you know, I geeked out a little bit there for a second, and then I saw what it was that you you do, and I thought, oh, this is really cool. So, well, it's funny because I I don't remember. I was trying to think of today as I was going on my run because I knew we were going to be chatting today. I was thinking, how did I first hear about you? And I'm I'm guessing it must have been when Michael Pratt was on your show, and he probably posted about it or something. And so then I somehow ended up happening upon your podcast and. I guess it was last month I was on some international trip and I listened to like nine of them in the course of one weekend or something. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I was really, I, 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 you know, I'm a big fan of your podcast now. I've listened to a bunch of things. And I think initially, aside from the fact that I wanted to hear what Michael Hyatt had said, what, what really stood out to me was the name. I think it's just such, such a great name and it made me interested. You know, it's, I'm interested in anything productivity wise. And so the to-do list blog sounded, the to-do list podcast sounded awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. It took a while to get that name to be kind of just right, and I'm glad mm-hmm. I landed on that where I did. So, yeah. Well, I wanted to start by saying you've been named one of the 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company, as well as just recently you made their list of the 10 most generous in social media, and that's due to your official position at Twitter. Can you talk about what your position title is? at Twitter and what it is you do. Sure. Um, So I lead social innovation at Twitter. I was an early employee there. And essentially, I was brought on by one of the co-founders, Bizstone, to work at looking at how Twitter could best be involved in the pro-social space. So how Twitter could best be used as 
as a tool for making change in the world. And uh, the reason I was poised to take on that role at all was uh, because I had a very strange story of how I got started on Twitter myself. And to make that more brief than it could be, I'll say that essentially I was uh, traveling around the world for a year in 2006. And my last stop on that trip was Kenya. And I went to Kenya to climb Mount Kenya. At the time, I was very athletic. I had uh, recently climbed to Everest Base Camp. I had run my first marathon. So I was very eager to climb Mount Kenya. And someone said, oh, if you're climbing Mount Kenya, you should stay overnight at a guest house that is right near the base of this mountain. And so I, I did, because at the time I did anything if it was free or nearly free, and this guest house was nearly free. And it turned out the guest house was owned by a nearby orphanage. So, you know, the orphanage elders invited me over for lunch, and essentially I ended up living at that orphanage for a year. I never climbed the mountain, and it was during that year that I, I started on Twitter. I had, you know, a couple years leading up to that, developed a blog that was pretty popular, just sort of about my travels. And so it was a natural segue for me to to start on Twitter. And so I was essentially tweeting about weird things. And, you know, in the end of 2006, early 2007, there weren't tons of people tweeting from Kenya about working in their nonprofit organization and doing those sorts of things. So that was kind of the initial way that all started. Wow. That's even better story than I thought was going to happen. <laughs> Being at Twitter in that position, you started, you wrote a book called Twitter for Good, Changing mm -hmm. the World One Tweet at a Time. Can you share a bit about what that book is and, you know, also why people should go get it? Sure. So, I mean, essentially the book, you know, the premise of the book is that, uh, you know, Twitter is a tool for positive change. Individuals and organizations and, and companies can be using Twitter to make their message of positive change resound around the world, essentially. And uh, the book, though, although that is kind of the overarching message of the book, the book is very tactical. It's based on a lot of presentations that I give. I guess I was giving presentations for a couple years about Twitter before I wrote the book. And I had developed what I call a tweet model, which is basically a five-step model for excelling on Twitter. And that was really the basis for, for what became a, a tactical book showing you how you could implement the tools of Twitter to, to make your own chain. And I always like to give a caveat here that, you know, the book, uh, the premise behind it is very much sort of people who want to make world change, but, but don't be scared off by that. You know, many people are making, are making world change in their daily lives at home with their companies, with their small businesses and that sort of thing. So it's really a tool to teach you how to excel on the platform. Yeah, definitely. I, that was one of the things that actually surprised me is I, I went in thinking, okay, this is going to be entirely about social good. And then lo and behold, it's very much a tactical Twitter handbook Yeah, absolutely. where I've, I've gotten a lot out of it just for my own day job. So very helpful. I'm glad to hear that. You're involved then with not just teaching people and doing these these presentations about how to you know, tweet for social good or do business well with, with Twitter, you are still doing uh, humanitarian type work on the side as well. Maybe talk a little bit about Hope Runs. Sure. So essentially, when I was spending that year living in an orphanage, I started a nonprofit organization called Hope Runs. And Hope Runs is a small, scrappy uh, startup nonprofit based out of Kenya, and we work in a couple AIDS orphanages in um, in Kenya, basically providing extracurricular programming to kids in orphanages. And kind of 
the the backstory to this or sort of the the concept behind this is that you know a lot of times large large nonprofit organizations you know world vision food for the hungry compassion focus on um a lot of the basics and a lot of the things that an orphan and vulnerable child might need to to survive actually and what we do is we go kind of a step further than that and we say what can we what kind of programs can we develop in in orphanages that allow kids to develop their skills and develop their passions and allow them to to think broader about a, a larger future. So essentially it started with running programs. That's why it's called Hope Runs. It started when we trained a bunch of teenage boys and girls in an orphanage from America in Kenya. And then it expanded into educational programs and that kind of thing. So it's definitely a big passion of mine one of the reasons that I am so passionate about it as well is that I have a foster son from that orphanage. So, you know, Sammy is his name. He's at Sammy Ikua on Twitter. He's very active. And he he really kind of keeps that, you know, being an important part of my life. Awesome. Yeah, that's definitely not a normal kind of approach, I think, that when we think of doing humanitarian type work or social good, that we hear something along the lines of that, where it's it's programs like this, where it's not just going in and giving aid, but it, you're giving them a whole new perspective, I think, on, on what their life can be. I hope so. That's that's what we hope. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. want to speak too highly of we do. But yes, um, I think many of the kids that have gone through our programs have gone on to university in Kenya and have had... Uh, you know, great success in sort of their early young adult lives and that sort of thing. So we're always hopeful. Yeah. I know that as we were trying to set up the interview that you had mentioned you had just gotten back from doing a digital detox. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Well, so this has always, I've been dreaming of doing a digital detox for about 10 months now. You know, it must have been, you know, day one of 2012. I said one of my resolutions for this year is that I'm going to do one. And for me, the problem was always obviously trying to find uh, the time to do that. When you're actually an employee in a company, it's more difficult than when you work for yourself. You know, I know Michael Hyatt spent three weeks offline this summer. I remember reading uh, his post about that. And I remember being so jealous and thinking, oh, if only I could do that. But I simply don't have three weeks of vacation time in which I could do that. So uh, I have to be pretty creative about when I could do it. And essentially, it was, it was pretty funny. We went to, so as I said, I have a 19-year-old foster son. He just recently graduated from high school in the U.S. And he's spending a year in Ecuador this year on a service project, essentially, before he comes back to the U.S. and returns and begins college. We went to Ecuador to visit him. And it was a lovely trip, and we went to Ecuador, um, to Quito, and to, you know, his small village where he's working, and then went off to the Galapagos. And so I planned that, okay, I could just make it just at 14 days. I could do a digital detox for 14 days exactly. And I was so excited about this, and I had put in so much planning into making it work. And so during this digital detox, the thing I was doing is my husband was uh, doing uh, recordings of me each day. So I was saying, you know, day one, this is how I'm feeling, that kind of thing. And lo and behold, on day, I guess it was on day nine, I had, uh, basically, I had to get back online. Essentially, the, the backup system I had worked for my digital detox was, okay, you know, if there's a problem, uh, my assistant or someone will, will send me a text, right? So on day nine, I opened my phone, and in the Galapagos, you know, there's not even that great connection, so I wasn't even getting text messages each and every day. But so I, I got them on day nine, and I see about nine text messages. You know, there was something legitimately urgent happening at work and I immediately had to get back online and it was such a 
bummer. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm hopeful that I can try a shorter one sometime around Christmas again, um, because I really, really loved it. And I, I had been so concerned about how I would feel doing it and how anxious I would be to get back online. But honestly, I, I was doing so great until, you know, the roof fell in and I had to get back online. So that was a bummer. What were some of the still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity, from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and I'm intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com, to learn more. Those feelings as you were, you know, after you passed day two, three, four, as you're getting into it, and you're not anywhere near having to check anything. Like, how did it feel? I mean, it felt amazing. And I think it's so funny because I realize how much of my time and how much of all of our time is spent with kind of, um, I don't know if logistical is the right word, but I guess it is logistical. Many of the emails that we we are dealing with and many of the conversations we're having online are really logistical things. And those aren't always pleasant, and sometimes they're even negative. So it was great to be really free from that. I realized um, how much of, you know, how much of my email life is basically kind of about slightly negative conversations that are happening or things I don't really want to do but have to set up and that kind of thing. And so another thing, kind of, I really realized from it was this sense of well. So I had set up, as I mentioned, to to deal with the kind of 
you know, I knew there I had to have a system in place in case something really urgent did happen. And so I had put um, a message on my email autoresponder saying, you know, you can send an email to, I had created an email address that was urgentclaire at gmail.com. And so I created an email address and I or text me here. And it was amazing to me. I'm going to write a blog post about this because it was hysterical to see what people thought was urgent in terms of the types of emails and types of texts that I did get because, I, I mean, I was just kind of blown away. You know, there I go, say I'm going to be completely off of one. If this is urgent, you can take take following action. And the emails that my assistant opened that went to urgent Gmail were just so not urgent in my mind. It was, it was laughable. So I think another big, big lesson I learned is, of course, what, what I think is urgent in my life isn't urgent to you, and what you think is urgent in your life isn't urgent to me. And so probably the next time I do a digital detox, I'm going to be even more sort of offline in that sense, because I really want people to not be able to kind of get through if I'm going to be offline. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So a little bit tighter filters for next time. Absolutely. Just, and I understand it. I mean, I understand what it feels like to feel that, you know, something in your world is going wrong and you think that there is someone who can fix it. And so you want to, you know, email them as much as you can or text them as much as you can, even though you hear they're on vacation. But, but it's really a bummer if you're on the other side of it trying to do digital detox and emails about things that are really, really not important and really could wait seven days. So. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd do differently next time? Um, hmm, that's a good question. No, I mean, I think I had set it up really well. I felt really confident when I started it simply because I felt that I'd responded to all the sort of outstanding things that needed to really happen. And so I think I was in a pretty good place. I think I would record uh, my feelings probably even better next time. As I said, I did sort of these one and two minute videos. And I think next time I would probably take that um, to writing a bit more. Kind of moving from the digital detox, you've now been doing some videos as far as like social media pet peeves, which has been kind of interesting. I have some of the same pet peeves, but also you posted, I believe it was last night as as of the recording of this interview, five reasons to be a morning person. Mm-hmm. And I did. That's a really good post. And it fits definitely into your books, The Present Principle, as well as Lead by Morning. So before we touch on those, I'd love to ask the the question, which is, in an ideal world, how do you start your day? Yes. Well, I, I love this question. So I, as you said, um, I have an ebook called The Present Principle, and um, I've given some talks on this before. And basically, it is it is an ebook about how I start my day and how I think uh, people can start their days as they want them to start better. And so, yeah, so let me go through that a bit. Essentially, the background to this was that a few years ago, I realized, you know, I had been doing some self-exploration and I was trying to figure out what, what made a good day for me, right? And so I started to think through some of those things. And for me, you know, being able to read for pleasure was something that made a good day. Being able to exercise was something that made a good day. Being able to to spend time uh, with the Bible or in prayer. I'm a Christian, so that was something that made a good day. I kind of made a list of these things, and then I said, hey, you know, okay, so how can I craft a day such that, you know, in an ideal world, as you said, I would actually begin the day with with the most important things on this list. And so for a long time, I had uh, created a, an acronym that that was, it didn't make any sense. It was some random letters all pushed together, but it was something that I remembered and it was on my Google calendar every morning and I would go through those letters. 
And then one day I said, hey, you know, why don't I turn this into, into content for a blog post and then eventually for an ebook? And so I kind of tried to work around the letters and tried to work around the words and it eventually got it into uh, an acronym, which is just present, P-R-E-S-E-N-T. And that became sort of, uh, you know, the acronym that I would follow every morning I set up to, to try to, to live my day better. So essentially what that means for me is, so P is prayer, pray, R is read, E is express, S is schedule, E is exercise, N is nourish, and T is track. And I guess we go through these a little bit. So essentially what I do when I wake up on an ideal day, and I was able to do that this morning, so I was really happy about that, is I try to go through these seven things in order. So P-R-E-S-E-N-T, and the first one is prayer. You know, I, I sit down at, at my space uh, which is, you know, when I'm in, when I'm at home, it's, it's my desk. Um, and I have, have my Bible and my journal and, and actually start just simply praying and, you know, thanking God for the day and, and asking for his guidance and what I'm about to, about to have in this, in this present time, I call it. And then I get into reading. And usually for me, that's reading, um, some passages or maybe I'll be following and I'll be going through sort of a, a Christian book of some sort, either a devotional or some type of other. Christian reading. And so I do some of those readings. And then um, I go to E, which is express, which is my kind of writing in my journal about, about what I just read, about what I just prayed about, and about sort of what I'm thinking about my day. And this sort of those, those top three things should take for me around 20 minutes. I'm usually drinking tea when I do it. And, and this is really kind of the center of, of this whole present principle of this whole process of me trying to live in the present more. And then my next step is I go into schedule. And for me, scheduling my day isn't about looking at my Google calendar, which obviously already has a pretty intense schedule written on it. But for me, the scheduling step is, is about kind of a more macro thing. So one of the things I like to do, and I do this every day and a lot of people think it's funny, but me doing it every day means that it can be really quick. I take out a blank piece of paper, so an eight and a half by 11, you know, blank piece of paper that, you know, you have in your printer. And I take it out and I try to write down all the things that I have going on in my head that need to get done. And I find that if I do this every day, it's really quick. And when I say everything, I really mean everything. So these are things, you know, this morning I did it and I, I realized, you know, one of the things that I really have going on in my head is we need to buy new luggage, right? And I'm not going to buy a new luggage set this month. I probably won't even buy it next month, but it's just something in my head. And I love just having it on the paper because at the end of this exercise, I generally see that I actually have less to do than I thought I did. When all the things are going around in my head, uh, you know, the rats hitting against each other, or whatever it is, or even when they're on individual post-it notes and sort of thing, it seems overwhelming. But when it's on kind of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and, and it's kind of looks a bit more like a mind map. It feels less to me. I kind of categorize these things and I basically look at all these things I have to do and I say, what are these things that's actually going to get plugged into my schedule today? And so then that's what gets into my schedule today. So that is sort of how I cover the first four steps of this present principle, which is, you know, pray, read, express, and schedule. But then the next three, which are exercise, nourish, and track, are things that really can happen at any point during the day. Um, I like to exercise in the morning, but it's really not always possible for me. And and I almost feel ashamed saying that because I, you know, as someone who's into productivity, I've read the articles, I've read the studies. I know that people who exercise in the morning are more likely to keep exercising. But even so, that's not always my reality. Uh, but I do make sure to get an exercise 
And then nourishing for me is, you know, the second to last step here, which is doing something I like to do, which is almost always reading, but, but it may be uh, watching the real housewives. I'm a huge (laughs) show out there. And, and then finally the last step is just tracking, which is really simple, but it's at the end of the day, it's, you know, how many of these, of these seven steps in this present principle was I able to get done? And, and that's not, not a time to beat myself up, but it is a time to try to motivate myself for the next day. So, I mean, that's a very structured answer to your question. I, I kind of have to create sometimes structure like this in my life uh, because I feel like I have such an unstructured life most of the time. But um, yeah, so in an ideal world, that's how I wake up. And those are, you know, the seven things that I would do today. Are you a morning person, would you say? Well, it's funny because I would want to be a morning person and I like when I am a morning person, but basically my, my big challenge in the last, in the last, maybe it's been about two years now where I'm really on the road about 60% of the time right now, if not more than that. And that messes up completely with my schedule. It's really hard for me to consistently stick to that when I'm flying so much and when I'm not at home or in hotels. Uh, and, and furthermore, uh, the other kind of crazy thing about me is that I sleep more, more than anyone I know, and that's a huge priority for me. So um, I typically am in bed about 11 hours a night. Um, so that's maybe hopefully getting 10 hours a night of sleep and being in bed 11 hours. So for me, that is more important than being a morning person, if that makes sense. So if I'm getting to bed late, I'm going to get up late. But it's a bummer because I love, I love those months when I can be a morning person and I'm not traveling and I'm in one place and I'm well rested. So hopefully one day. So then I know the the present principle is is a really quick read. It's really inexpensive. It's only uh, what I believe, well, on Kindle, which is, uh, it's two ninety nine. well worth the, the purchase. But then I noticed you had something else, which was called Lead by Morning, 365 Days of the Present Principle. Now, what's the difference there for somebody? Sure. So that's a daily devotional. It's a secular devotional. Um, well, it's mostly secular. I think there are some verses in it, but most of the verses aren't too, uh, too overwhelming, I should say, for, for someone who's... Um, you know, a non-Christian. And it's basically just a, it's a daily devotional because that's what I do. As I said, sort of in my reading time, I typically read a few different things. I typically read a passage from the Bible. I'm typically working through some devotional of some kind. And then also um, reading some type of other book of faith, often that's sort of the more motivational one. And so this is just basically 365 days of motivational kind of content to help people get going in the morning. One of the things that I talked with some of my other other interviewees about is is not necessarily people who have it all together that I'm interviewing. It, it's people who have had a certain amount of success but have had struggles when it comes to productivity. So I want to ask you in your career as well as with all the traveling you do and your, your know, home life and all that, one, what have you struggled with? And, and two, how have you maybe come out of the other end of it? Sure. So I think one of the sort of biggest struggles for me is that I don't actually think, I mean, I have an amazing job right now and I've been lucky to be at, you know, Twitter for almost four years now, but I'm not actually programmed to be an employee, I think in many ways. Um, And I think there are different reasons for that. But uh, one of the reasons is I'm just kind of individual contributor and individual entrepreneur. And because of that, I sometimes feel um, restricted or or confined in an organizational setting. 
And one of one of the ways that really manifests itself is that I have, you know, being someone who's really interested in productivity, have probably read too much about what is productive and what is not productive in an office environment. Right. And so often come at the normal, typical, uh, good-hearted <laughs> office uh, procedures as I come at them with sort of a poor attitude, if that makes sense. Um, It's really hard for me to handle meetings. Um, That's a perfect example. I find that I really have to work hard to really maintain upbeat and maintain, you know, positivity essentially in the midst of that. So for me, that's been one of the hardest things. I think that I've had this feeling for years and then it was this year. Have you read uh, Susan Cain's book, Quiet? Uh, yes. Okay. So, I mean, this is an amazing book. It's about, uh, I don't remember what the subline is, what the subtitle is, but, you know, it's a book of introverts, what it means to be an introvert kind of in the world. And as soon as I read that book, I realized that so many of my feelings are basically catalyzed in the fact that, you know, I am an extreme introvert. And this is the reason why I've had such issues at times working in, in a very, uh, fast-paced startup environment that's very, very collaborative. And uh, that was just fascinating and eye-opening to me. I mean, most particularly, you know, into a couple things she says in the book, basically she says that a lot of sort of this open office floor plan of startup environments is is a bad idea for introverts. And one of the big reasons is, you know, the, with introverts is that introverts, being an introvert doesn't mean that you're shy. Being introvert just means that the way you um, kind of restore yourself is is by being alone. And you, you are trained being around around other people and being involved in social settings. And so for me, being in an open office environment can be really, really tough because I get drained completely by chatting with people all day and feel that, you know, I haven't even gotten to to start my work day. In contrast, you know, extrovert would feel really excited by being around such great colleagues all day and having the chance to chat with them. So that was a really big moment for me in understanding kind of a lot of where some of my feelings came from and what I was dealing with. So I would say overwhelmingly um, productivity for me. Uh, the major challenge I've faced is that it's one thing to be individually productive and to figure out how you're individually productive. And it's another thing to try to fit uh, your, you know, how you figured out you are individually productive into an organizational setting, because ultimately organizations uh, are, are set up based on some pretty uh, steadfast rules that uh, they've worked out over over the years. And most organizations have the same rules. And those are, you know, that you should be in a lot of meetings, that you should have a lot of phone calls, that uh, you should probably be working in an open office environment if you if you work in technology, and that collaboration is key. And, you know, again and again, I've, I've, I've had a couple problems with that, despite the amazing people I work with. Yeah. Can you share a little bit, maybe, what have you maybe put into practice for yourself as an individual to take that time as an introvert to recharge alone? Sure. So I think one of the keys is um, setting up sort of firm office hours. And again, this is very difficult for most people that work in, you know, dynamic startup organizations. Uh, I have a friend who, I think I have one friend who is able to keep strict office hours and uh, strict office hours, meaning, you know, she goes into the office right at nine and leaves right at 530. And she works for a large energy company. And when we were in business school, she told me that she wanted to work for an energy company because she knew they were so good about office hours. So my point being, you know, most people that work in an organization today don't have 
the ability to to actually do that. You know, they don't have the ability to completely set their hours as they want them. But for me, that's been a huge, huge help in trying to sort of construct hours and construct sort of boundaries. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not working outside that hours by any means, as is exhibited by my failed digital detox where I'm on vacation in the Galapagos and I'm still, you know, getting on to do a bunch of work. But for me, what it does to set the strict hours is it means that outside those hours, at the very least, I won't be um, engaging in phone calls and meetings because that helps me be productive and do kind of those those tasks that I really need to put my head down and do, which are the things that I often need to be quiet and be alone and certainly not be interrupted to get done. So, so that's been a huge help. Yeah, definitely. I'm also an introvert, and people probably wouldn't think that from just listening to me just talk on a podcast, but I'm also alone in a room and talking to just one other person. So it's not... Uh, the technology kind of enables us as introverts to – I think of it as like an exoskeleton. I told somebody else, the internet's almost like you're Tony Stark and then the internet is the Iron Man suit. You know what I mean? That's funny. <laughs> so it, it kind of empowers you to be able to do all these cool things and yet you're still just yourself and that's awesome. Have you experienced anything like that where, I mean, the internet changes your – introvertedness, I guess is, it's a weird way of asking that, but. I mean, I think this is, I don't know. I wonder if there must be articles written about this because I'm, I'm in total agreement with you that it is like sort of putting on your superhero armor or something as an introvert, having the internet allows you to connect with people in a way that I might feel uncomfortable doing in a cocktail or, you know, in some sort of the cocktail setting or something, or I might not even show up in an event like that because I'm so introverted. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. But internet, I'm able to connect with folks. And it's not, again, I mean, it's so hard to, I always worry about talking about this introverted stuff because I feel like people come away, people who don't understand it come away thinking I'm antisocial. And I, it's really, really not that. It's just that um Oftentimes, these public social settings just completely exhaust me, and I can't handle too much of it. And so that's kind of that's that's really the idea behind behind trying to protect my time more and trying to stay, you know, stay more in myself when I can. You have another ebook that's called "How to Be Social: A Social Media Manifesto." Would you like to touch on that just a little bit? Sure. So that's another just short, fun ebook. And in that, I mean, as, as you said, you saw that I'm been doing some videos about um, social media complaints, essentially, or, you know, things you shouldn't be doing on social media. And this ebook, How to Be Social, really touches on a lot of those, basically just kind of going through some of those, those silly things people do on social media that they really shouldn't be doing, whether you're an organization or an individual. Uh, I had an amazing uh, example of this today that I read that I just want to share with you, which was just, you know, a, a disaster, a PR disaster on Twitter occurring right before my eyes. My my friend Jessica Gottlieb is a big uh, mom blogger, and she had a friend, I guess, yesterday who who tweeted some large, uh, like a theater, a theater that puts on shows. She tweeted some large theater, their Twitter account. And said something about how, hey, you know, I know there's probably no chance, but it would be, you know, is there any, you know, is there any possibility you still have tickets left for some big show that they were having, right? And I mean, you know, it was just an off-the-cuff tweet. She obviously assumed they wouldn't have for this, this big show, but figured why not, you know, try 
And the social media manager for this theater wrote back something completely snarky and basically dissolved to this huge nightmare. And then a social media manager not apologizing and saying they had mistakenly sent the tweet and all this kind of stuff. And I was just aware as I was reading through this mess this morning, because first I saw it on Twitter and then I went to her blog and, and saw that she'd done a whole recap of it. I was just aware of how, oh my goodness, people just make so many classic mistakes all the time on social media. So all that to say, this ebook, How to Be Social, is just a very short kind of manifesto about uh, encouraging you not to make those mistakes. Which is funny because I can, I'm going to tie that back to productivity for this sake, that a lot of the times people talk about when, when they're, they're aiming for productivity or they struggle with it, they say, well, I don't have enough time or I have too much to do. And yet they have, they definitely had the time to go tweet a snarky comment or post a picture that they didn't necessarily need to, to Instagram or Facebook, but yet they're too busy. Absolutely. Well, that's always the thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're too busy to do things you don't want to do, but you always have time to do the things you do want to do. Ah, in the same way where we never want to eat our vegetables, but we always have space for ice cream, right? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's one of my daughter's things is, I'm full. Can I have dessert? And I'm like, <laughs> you're not full if you want your dessert. <laughs> Anyways. So in general, I mean, social media is just such an interesting space in terms of rethinking our behaviors and and our manners, you know, and what that means. And and we're really still, you know, many people have said this, we're still kind of in the wild old west, in the wild west of social media where we don't really, really know how things uh, will pan out yet. So I think you see a lot more sort of uh, poor behavior or poor manners on social media than you might in a regular uh, corporate setting or something, just simply because people haven't haven't learned yet what's okay and what's not. Yeah, no doubt. I, I see stuff all the time and I've even, I mean, it's almost like the, the equivalent of saying, don't tweet drunk. It's like, don't tweet angry right? or sad even, or all these things. Like think before you tweet, don't just tweet something for the sake of you're feeling it at this very moment, you know? And it's interesting because we're all a little bit better at that in terms of email now, you know, we've all at least probably read some articles saying, you know, wait 30 minutes before sending that angry email and that kind of thing. But that hasn't quite trickled down yet to, to Twitter and Facebook and other social media. Yeah. Do you think that has to do with the, the mediums themselves that they're kind of seen as more instantaneous than email was? Absolutely. And I mean, you're encouraged on those, you know, you're encouraged on social media to respond as quickly as possible. And that's, that's why it's touted as, that's one of the benefits, right, behind yeah. it. So people kind of forget um, that there can be this sort of darker side, essentially. How would you respond to that, To especially, you know, working for one of the major social networks to where one of the benefits is always being touted as, well, you can always be on it. You can always reach somebody. It's super quick. It's quick communication. But how do you balance that with having a life? I mean, I, I think you, you just have to get off. I mean, as I say in um, – my book, Twitter for Good. And as I say, when working with individuals and organizations on Twitter, I say, you know, if you if you really have a strategy and you figure out what you want to achieve on the platform, I think you can do it in 20 minutes a day. Um, you can do a lot in 20 minutes a day. But in order to not kind of get sucked into the black hole that is the Internet, you really got to get off. Um, one of the, the saddest things I find myself doing and getting back to, you know, when I'm not productive, this is a perfect example of when I'm not productive is I call it my internet vortex where I might have a few tabs open, right? So I've got my, 
Gmail open, my Twitter open, uh, maybe Facebook, you got Buffer open, you know, I have these things. Oh, and maybe my Google Calendar. And all I'm doing is just basically clicking one tab, seeing if something has happened, clicking the next, seeing if something has happened, and just going around in a loop and a loop and a loop. And it's the least productive thing you could possibly be doing. You're basically just waiting for your life to change via a tweet or a Facebook post or via an email because you don't want to get done what you really should be getting done. Mm. So you've got to turn off the computer. You've got to step away from the device, essentially. And that's kind of the only the only thing you can do when things get really bad, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one who does something similar to that. It's just tragic. When I find myself doing it, I say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm doing this again. You know, how how many books can I read about productivity and still find myself doing this right now? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, our time is actually coming near to a close. I would love to have you tell people uh, where they can find all your stuff at. I know your books are all on Amazon and I'll have links to all those in the, the show notes as well as actually if people are Amazon Prime members, some of those books are actually available for their uh, their lending where you can borrow it for a sh- certain amount of time for free. So that everybody should do that. But uh, yep. where should people check out what you're doing online? You can just find me at clairediazortiz.com. So C-L-A-I-R-E-D-I-A-Z. O-R-T-I-Z.com. Um, and on Twitter, I'm just at Claire and again, C-L-A-I-R-E. And yeah, it'd be great to to chat more with some of your listeners. Again, I've been a, a big fan of your podcast ever since I happened upon it last month. And I've probably listened to about 80% of all the shows you've done at this point. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you again for those kind words and for coming on the show. It was great to have you. I can now say I interviewed somebody that works at Twitter. Well, I can announce that I was interviewed by Eric Fisher, so thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I have to say again, thank you to Claire for joining me on the show. It was great to sit down and talk with her. I'm sure that you got a lot out of the show just like I did. Please do me a favor and let me know the biggest takeaway that you got out of the episode by tweeting at me at Eric J. Fisher. That's E-R-I-K-J-F-I-S-H-E-R. And also let Claire know what you thought at C-L-A-I-R-E on Twitter. And again, if you are enjoying this show, please help others find it more easily by going to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes. Take the 10 seconds when you get there to click and give us maybe a five-star review. It really helps the show to be found in iTunes so that others can benefit from the show as much as you have. And we'll see you next time. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Find more great podcasts like How to Podcast, Clean Comedy, Once Upon a Time, Christian Worldview, and more at noodle.mx. Think, laugh, and succeed by subscribing to our podcasts at noodle.mx.